All right, so nothing really happened since the last time we had a podcast, right? Yeah, it's been slow. Slow slow times. All right, this is the Knowles 24-7 podcast. Brendan Sinone here, joining me, Chris Nee. And yeah, we have a lot to go over. Uh, it was actually during, well, where do you want to start? We had a hire, we had uh, transfer news uh, that, that proved to be quite polarizing. Uh, what, where do you want to start, Chris? I'm I'm adhering, I'm adhering to the like adult. A, is this like uh, choose your own adventure? I get to choose my own adventure. Do you remember those old Goosebump books where you could I, pick the ending? I say we just start where we ended last time we talked, which was the schedule. Which now <laughs> you want to you want to yeah, ease, ease into it. Let's start with the softball question. All right. Well, the the softball question is a softball schedule. Then uh, it, this schedule broke about as best as it could have for FSU. Yeah. Is that fair to say? No Thursday. No Friday. No. You know heavy-duty trap game types, two bye weeks, which is just how the calendar is set up. But you also got the kind of soft teams that help lead into the more difficult ones, a Clemson lead-in, a Florida lead-in that are that way. Um, I think it's a good schedule. I mean, it, for the teams that were going to be on it, it sets up well for FSU to try to go out and win a lot more games than they won a season ago. Should I go down the list of games here? And no, I, I think the listeners know, know. I think okay. the listeners know the schedule. They're already making hotel plans and such. The the crappy thing about the schedule from a fan perspective is that the home schedule just isn't very good. Yeah, but um, it was never going to be very right. good. But I think people will trade wins and success for being really well entertained. I don't think I think the fan base has accepted to some degree that this team isn't prepared for prime time. So I think the preference would be soft versus, you know, oh, this is a great game, but FSU gets a brain speed in. Yeah, I think that trade-off is something that they'll take right now. This set up a little bit, not as daunting as last year, but a little bit like last year where it's like, okay, they win their first game of the season, and there's a path there for them to go ahead and, and win a few games and get a nice you know, first half of the schedule uh, bump. <laughs> and, and I don't want to repeat the same thing as last year, but, you know, you have Boise State, which uh, – it's a neutral site game. We've talked about that before. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but Boise State yeah, is... Yeah, but it's Jacksonville, so it's far more of an FSU site than for sure, a neutral for site. For sure, but still be cool to have it at Doak. Uh, right. But anyways, yeah, Boise State's breaking in a new quarterback, new running back, so theoretically, Florida State will have somewhat of an edge there, you you would think, and then ULM the next week, again, you you think they'd have an edge there. At Virginia, Louisville, NC State, like all those games are winnable. Yeah. Um, now you win them, I, I don't know. It depends on... There's a lot of variables with this team, obviously, a ton, but... They, they need a tone setter out the gate, though. They really need to go to Jacksonville and yeah. play a good football game and be a team who, what, won nine or ten games this past year. I know they're having a healthy amount of change over this offseason, mm-hmm. but still it, it will set the tone for them. Then you have ULM, which is one of those games that you should win no matter what type deals. And then you head up to UVA for the first meeting up there in quite some time and only the third meeting, I think, about the last ten years between the two teams. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah, Virginia under Brocco is a continually improving franchise, so it's not like that's some pushover. It's not Virginia of a couple of years ago where they just couldn't win any games that mattered. They've shown that they're capable of playing with good teams. And then Louisville obviously has a new coach they're breaking in with uh, Scott Satterfield. And then, but they're probably the worst team in the ACC next year. Yeah, and then NC State, you get uh, maybe Bailey Hawkman. <laughs> yeah, in dope. You can get to see Bailey in dope. Um, and then yeah. it's a bye week. Um, yeah, and then you get at Clemson, which, yeah. Or, yeah, but you yeah. get a bye week at least, right? And Trevor then you Lawrence a- is still there, right? Uh, I know they lose like 87 defensive players, but they'll bring in 87 good ones too. You want to just stay up in in Greenville for the week and then go to uh, 
to to Winston Salem the next week. I don't want to have to take two road trips in a row. See, I have a wife and two kids, uh-huh. so if I do that, I'll probably come back and I'll still have two kids, but I'm not sure I'll have a wife. <laughs> so probably no. That's probably a that's a hard pass for your your buddy here. Okay, hard pass. <laughs> All right, that's looking like a Sinone joint. All right, Syracuse. Um, I'll meet you up in Greenville. I just have to return for the in between. All right, yeah, I think I probably do too. Um, By then, you might have a kid. We'll see. <laughs> I, don't think I don't think I'll have a kid by then. I'm just and trying that, to set the podcast off of Rose immediately for you and put you in the Jitterville. <laughs> It'll put me in nowhere to the spot that I was this past week. I think I'm okay and bulletproof after that. I can't have a kid by then. That's not mathematically possible. <laughs> she may have a secret for you. How many games? Are, I, well, finishing off the schedule. Syracuse's Syrac- homecoming. I said I was going to go down the line, but I know I but you're doing it anyway. <laughs> Syracuse's homecoming, followed up by Miami coming up here, which is the best home game FSC he's going to have this coming year. Yep. And then you got at BC, which is a Saturday in November. I'm sure it will be nice and warm up there in Chestnut Hill. That's the only road game I'm well, – that I'm going to wake. But, like, I wish that was – Oh, I'm been, down for BC. It would be great I'll, if we could I'll switch go see those. The, I'll go see the fam in Boston. i got plenty That's of family true. up there. So I might make a extended weekend of that. Mafia family up there. Um, and then Alabama State and Tallahassee, bye week, and then at Florida to wrap it up. So – it sets up well. I mean, I think you take those games, you shake them up, you throw them out. It's about as good as it could set up for them. You have like three weeks to prepare for Florida. Yeah, and I'm just glad there's no cool. bullshit short week or, you know, mix it up kind of Thursday games. I'm so tired of those, and this team doesn't need that stuff. Let it be a normal, get in a rhythm, preparations are the same, week in, week out. You know, travel is not horrendous. The worst travel they have this year will probably be going to Boston, if I had to guess, just because in November you have the potential of some difficulty getting back. We just saw that with the basketball team. It took them, I think, six extra hours to come back from Boston after that loss at Chestnut Hill because the weather's been so bad. So, you know, you try to avoid circumstances like that as you're working with a team that you're trying to kind of keep on a even kill, consistent, week-to-week, you know, make sure things are normal. That there's not a whole lot of you know change here and there. So, note to I, self, I have no grandiose predictions of what they're. I was no, I want to ask year. you I'm, over, I'm gonna, over under seven wins. Over I, under. I'm going to let the fans vote on my prediction for this year because they'll do a better job than I did last year. So I'm just going to accept that. You know, hey, it is what it is. In all fairness, once you recalibrate and figure out what the team was, I feel real confident <laughs> they'll beat ULM and Alabama State, and I feel really confident they won't beat Clemson. Uh, that's. So really? two and one. There's my prediction. Right. Two and one. You figure out the other nine. Have at it. All right. I have to go and fix the part of the podcast where you swore now because it was just a BS reference, right? That was the only one I dropped. I mean, you said shit. No, I said it too. No, I said no. I don't know what you I said. I didn't say it's singular. I said plural. I don't think that makes a difference. <laughs> I said the animal version. All, uh, right. all right. All right. That's the schedule. Yeah. Now, do we want to get into the fun stuff? Sure. You you pick. You choose your own adventure. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to need your help out for this one uh, because I'm, I'm a little personally attached to the, obviously, reporting of it. But we had finished up our podcast last Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday, right? It doesn't matter. We finished up the podcast. I got a text message from a source who would have direct knowledge of this telling me that James Blackman was putting his name in the transfer portal. Uh, that he had put his name in the transfer portal by the time. It had begun the process that puts it in. But had actually done that portion of the process that puts it in. Uh, and said that the name was that it was submitted to FSU administration. Right. To and to explain in. the transfer portal, which I think we've had to do plenty over the last six days or so, 
there's a 48-hour window where the university has time to submit the actual name to the portal itself, and that also allows the player or whoever is involved in the process to pull the name away and not allow it to show up in the you know screenshot of a transfer portal like we saw plenty. Mm-hmm. So in that time, obviously, James did not show up in the portal right. after that 48-hour period. There was a meeting on Thursday. Now, this process began roughly Wednesday at noon, mm-hmm. to put a time on it. Thursday, there was a meeting between Willie Taggart and James Blackman. By all indications, it went well. Things were said that needed to be said, and positive outcomes came from it. On, I want to say it was Sunday evening, you spoke to James's guardian slash father, Ricky Butts, mm-hmm. who filled you in a little bit on that meeting. And obviously, by that point, his name had not shown in the portal with the 48-hour window ending roughly end of business Friday. Yes. He had not shown up. So that is where it is at. But did he go about considering putting his name in the portal? Yes, he certainly did. Did it show up in the portal? No, it did not. Was it a possibility? It 100% was. Yeah. Is that the best way of phrasing it? Yep. People were projecting that it wasn't a possibility, that it wasn't anything to happen. Well, who, who, who cares what certain people think or say or want to use semantics and play those games? I'm not about that life. I know who your source was. I saw the text that you received regarding it. I know the follow-up you did regarding it. I know other conversations we had with other people that are close to James, including players that are on the team and people that are involved with those players, of James indicating to his teammates that he was considering the move. It all was there. Did it happen? No. Did he show up in the transfer portal? He did not. Mm-hmm. Did he go about starting that process? He 100% did. And I don't mean he just thought about it. It's not one of these things where he simply thought, you know, I might leave this school today. We all have covered FSU and other teams, football teams, long enough to understand that plenty of players consider a transfer here and there. The difference is with the portal, which is new to this year. When a player starts that process, it's a real process. It is. It allows the other universities to go about them once their name appears in the portal. But there's a 48-hour window buffer that allows for kids to retract. And some kids don't retract in that time, and they still can retract it. We've mm-hmm. seen that with Demarcus Adams and Xavier Peters, yeah. two guys that people also want to say that essentially we were going down something that wasn't true. But their names are actually in the portal and shown as withdrawn. Because they decided after putting their name in to pull it out. There are others that are still currently in the portal. George Campbell was at last check. Amir Razul was at last check. Nazir Upshur was as well as last at last check. You know, all of those are fairly recent here in the last two weeks in January. And those are guys that are just exploring their options. Once you enter enter the portal, it does not mean you are departing the university. It means you are considering a departure and you want to see what your possibilities are if you were to depart. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to, to phrase it. Um, and I'm not near as emotionally attached to this story, nor nor did I feel probably like you did for a four-day period of just waiting for the other shoe to drop, whether it's his name showing up, him officially pulling out, him issuing a statement, which he never did, You know, somebody in the family speaking on it, which his guardian father did eventually on Sunday speak on it, gave us a little insight regarding it. You know, the, when you report news and you put your neck out there, you worry about it, and that's what it is. I think the fact that no one from FSU came out to correct us on it, uh, the fact that people in the program were comfortable with what was reported largely, um, the fact that James Guardian was willing to go on record with me to explain it, and there was you know some some things that he wouldn't confirm, but he didn't deny anything either. So well, some private matters are private. Yes, correct, and that's the respect I'm trying to give. 
But when we reported the story, we were we were given the green light to report yes. that story. It's not a matter of we took something told to us by a source that wanted to be private and we turned it public. It was not that. Correct. It it was known by that source that it was going to turn into we a public matter. We went through things pretty respectful, very respectfully. Um, the only the only thing I would like to take back is just glimpse behind the reporting process, and I put it up on the message board. Is I would have liked to tweet the headline in hindsight. And you had suggested at the time. At that point, I was like, we're just. I put my name on it. I don't want to change it afterwards. Yeah. Um, and that was my concern is it was already out there, but yeah, the, the very first sentence, I think the story clarifies everything pretty clearly. People get hung up on headlines. They do. They do. And that's, uh, that was a learning lesson for me. You're going to um, listen to me from here on out, aren't you? I wasn't, I didn't listen to you to begin with. You suggested it. If you'd said you need to change it, I would have said a hundred percent. Sure. I'm blaming this completely on you. <laughs> um, yeah, and to clarify one more thing too, like people were, were some people on our message board were saying, "Oh, we use teammates as sources for, for it." Like we wouldn't no. report anything what? of that. I would. I, here's one thing that I've heard with other journalists before, and, and just people that are in the public that have much wider scope than than us, like that have actual like millions of followers on Twitter, or people who care more than they care about just just a beat reporter for FSU football. You think you build up credibility over a period of time, and that gives you some level of cachet. Like if you're you're either wrong on something or if you have a bad day, man, it's crazy to see. Like you're as worse, you're judged as worse as your bad day. Basically, like people yeah. will remember that, and they won't remember all the other times you're correct that you're first. Like we had DeAndre Francois coming back, you know, for the spring. We broke that news. People were trying to deflect it and say that that wasn't really the case and that wasn't accurate and proved to be accurate. We were right a lot this off season. I don't, know, I don't want to get into that, I guess. I'm, I'm going to scale back a little bit. I don't play the right or wrong thing. I've done this for two decades. People can judge me as they see fit. I'm pretty good at reporting. I know what I'm doing. I've done it for a long time. We referenced a player speaking about Blackman potentially transferring, and that after information came after our yeah. report. So I just want to clarify that. The report had nothing based off of a player yeah. outside of a Blackman circle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, man, like he could still just change his mind. Like nothing's, even yeah. though we've reported that he's – He's expected to return. This has been the most fluid off season for any sort of rumors or reports that I have ever covered in my you know ten years doing this. The quarterback room has been a whacked out deal. Hell, for much of the season it was, and that certainly has carried carried over to the off season. And truthfully, it's not done. When no. the spring wraps up and DeAndre has enough credits to graduate, who knows? I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know if he knows for sure what he's going to do. Sounds like he intends to come back and play next season. He's certainly back for now. But we'll see after the spring. If the spring, you know, if he comes out of spring and he doesn't think he's a starter, does he hang around? Probably not. If he comes out of spring and he is a starter, does Blackman hang around? Who knows? I don't know what Blackman will do. I just know that there are people within his circle that are at the point where it's kind of like, a, you know, it's time to do it or go. Yeah. You know, so... That's what it is. And FSU obviously was searching for a transfer quarterback. Jalen Hurts was their main dude. They didn't get Jalen Hurts. There's been others they've been involved with, but nobody that I think they wanted as much as Jalen Hurts. At this point, I'm not sure they get a transfer quarterback outside of obviously adding Jordan Travis to the roster. And they're pursuing multiple high school guys. You know, John Rice, Plumlee, Lance Legendre, two guys they intend to bring on official visits. I think they would take both if they could get both right now. That room is something that is completely in transition, as one would expect with, you know, two different head coaches for a few of those guys in that room, and now your third offensive coordinator in threes. So, you know, it's fluid. And I I hate the word fluid. It's such a BS word in reporting. No offense. I know you just used it. But in this case, it is really (laughs) fluid. It's not something that – there's not a 
boatload of stability when it comes to certain portions of this roster and the way things stand. When right? I say when I say fluid, because life is fluid, like things happen. That's and change. deep. Life is deep. Like, put on a poster, mother effers. Um, <laughs> that should be in a dentist. <laughs> but that was, my point is things change. I think what I, what I use that though, I mean, there's more than one or two variables. Like usually, it's like if blank happens and something else happens. If if, if we one domino sh- falls, the rest falls. This isn't the case with a lot, and especially the quarterback room. Like there's a scenario in which one quarterback transfers, in which both come back, in which another one transfers, or both transfer. Like, yeah, I don't. Nolan McDonald being your starter is not the most far fetched idea I've ever had. It's greater than zero percent. If you wrote down December fifteenth, what you expected for FSU's quarterback room. For me, it would have said Francois transfers out or goes pro, but I didn't think he could go pro. But grad transfer was what I expected. This is prior to uh, you know finding out that he was not fulfilling enough credits to graduate. James Blackman, I expected to remain because he's a really good teammate. Seems to want to be here, even though there is some stuff going on there that you know from a playing standpoint, he seems a little uncomfortable with his where he stands here. He FSU should, he adds should. a transfer or two. Obviously, added one, but I'm talking grad yeah. transfer immediately eligible. FSU pursues high school quarterbacks. The only thing that truly played out on that is they did add a transfer, but it's not an immediately eligible one barring a waiver, and they're still pursuing the high school quarterbacks. The other stuff is all very, you know, to be determined. At this point, I think Blackman stays. I don't think Blackman ultimately wants to leave FSU, but at some point Blackman wants to play. That's the, you know, yin and the yang of that situation currently for him. Here's something that I think I, I can reveal now because it was a question that was asked a lot during the season, and the narrative popped up, and I've heard a lot of people... The red shirt deal? Yeah. Um, and, and so essentially, for, for what it is, is a lot of people have said, oh, he he wanted, his family requested to be redshirted, that he wanted to be redshirted, that his circle requested yeah. to be redshirted. No. He didn't want eligibility wasted. Correct. Uh, he, There's a difference. If FSU were to commit it to him and said, James, you're after the NC State game, the offense moves better with you, it's more functional with you, which some people on the offensive side of the football at FSU believe that. Yeah. I don't think the headman necessarily thought that, and that's why DeAndre Francois remained the starter. Um, but but it's not as simple as James wanted to redshirt. James that. wasn't going to lock himself in the locker at Notre Dame at halftime if he was told he had to go out there and play. No. no. That wasn't how he was operating. There was no, I'm not playing no matter what. Correct. FSU at some point decided he was not playing no matter what. Yeah, but that was not James that decided that. That was not James's family that decided that. That was not something they held over the head of FSU. Correct. And let's be honest, you only have so much that you can hold over the head of a program. Ultimately, if the coach wants to play you, you play. You go out yeah. there or you're going to look really bad not going out there. Yep. It's going to play out in a public fashion. Um. So, yeah, there's still obviously a lot that – needs to be kind of fleshed out, I think, with, with the quarterback room. Uh, there are a lot of variables. It's very fluid, if you will. <laughs> uh, I'm of the opinion right now, I don't know, what's today's date, January 20th, 21st? It doesn't matter. Right now, here in late January. It's 22nd, buddy. Oh, my God. I told you. I was Hopefully with, you had no bills due yesterday because you'd be in some deep. I was in the field position for like <laughs> five days, <laughs> just in the corner of my house. But I think the FSU would be wise to publicly commit to James Blackman in some form or fashion. Or make it clear they're not. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I, I, no, I think limbo I, slash purgatory is not a good that's place a, for I agree, anybody. I agree with that, but I think just the offense with what it is, what it wants to be under Kendall Bryles, like 
we know what DeAndre Francois is in a full year of this offense, and there's some room for him to get better with the knee injury and you know more reps and stuff. I understand that, but I think with what the offense has a higher potential with James Blackman right now and in the future because he's younger. You got 15 spring practices. Some of it's obviously going to be insulation, learning new terminology and new things when a new guy running the offense. But you need to have an idea as a coaching staff and as players in that room exiting the spring of where guys clearly stand. I do think FSU is excited about the idea of having two healthy quarterback I mean they had two healthy quarterbacks last year we're having DeAndre who, yeah but coming off that kind of injury for DeAndre he wasn't going to be close well, to I meant the Bailey Hockman and James Blackman last uh, year sorry, sorry you right. forgot sorry, right, yeah. Bailey. Uh, but having DeAndre and James so basically two guys with starting experience you can have a full year in your offense and the spread scheme to see those 15 practices to see them kind of go at it uh, I've been told that they are excited about that possibility so um, is there anything else on the JB stuff before we turn the page? No. Oh, here's one other thing. Willie Taggart was on the road recruiting and came back specifically, we were told, to meet with James Blackman. And, and then, then went back went, out. And then went back out. Yep. So, yeah, there was there was a little something there. And we'll turn the page. All right? Thank you for helping through there. You're welcome. Ron Dugans. I'm glad to see What's Ron the, back the, in Tallahassee. This is the widest. The the. the, the the, the, donk. the donk. The donk. Is it's, that a type of car? I, I think it's... Uh, <laughs> or is that his car? I'm, I'm about to unveil my whiteness. I know what a bedonka donk is. I believe it's basically an older big body car, certain models with larger tires on them. Like my, gra- like my Grampy tank nickname. that I have? The Grand I could say, or I do have a computer in front of me. I could Google the donk. But I, if you look at the photos and the stuff like that, it, it pertains to the specific type of car which has you know larger wheels on it. I think there's rims. a lot of people in our listening audience that are just pulling Shaking their hair their head out of like, man, these are two white dudes. <laughs> this is like going to an accounting fair. Um, all right. Well, Ron Dugans comes home. Tallahassee, Tallahassee son, FSU product, uh, former Got, NFL player. Paid um, his dues and worked hard too. This was. I'm going to get off track here, but just food for thought. Willie Taggart's two best hires have been his last two. Fair to say, as far as just uh, what how coach fits into what you want. Obviously, yeah, there's I, some baggage with Bryles. I think Bryles is certainly a guy that fits what Willie wants his offense to look like on Bri- paper. Without the you know some of the media, but that kind of got skimmed over quickly. Um, but I think that was a better fit than. Than Walt Bell. Well, I in think terms with Bryles, Bryles runs it fast. He knows how to run it. He knows what he's doing. He has a really clear idea. I think Taggart's uh, grafted plenty of ideas off of what Bryles and people of that cloth do yeah. offensively than trying to have to take what he wants done, Willie taking what he wants done, and trying to enforce it into that coach, which I think happens somewhat what Walt. Mm-hmm. That, hey, we want to do it this way. I know you know how to do certain things. You know, apply this. I don't think that's going to be the relationship mm-hmm. this time around. Plus, obviously, I think the keys have kind of been given away for the offense a hell of a lot earlier than we saw it happen sure. with Walt Bell. Uh, but that's, you know, I think we agree. Football perspective, it's a really good hire, a really sensible hire. I think you can kind of scratch your head of where, okay, Willie Taggart's brought in to implement this Gulf Coast offense in the year in goes away from it but there's also something to be said i could make the argument both ways there's something to be said for being flexible but anyways yeah bringing kendall browse who is a proven play caller at multiple levels i still expect him to add clements along with him which is a guy that fully understands how to operate an offensive line in his offense which is important um kind of makes everything go from the snap and whatnot you got dugans who can recruit at a high level who works really hard who can develop receivers who's done a good job as a receivers coach and he's at a place that he obviously has an emotional investment to 
due to his time playing here and his Thai city area. Um, Is it okay if I eat your Yeah, your you're Christmas welcome to have Reese's Pieces, buddy. The wife leaves them out for everyone. Um, but I, I like the Dugan's hire, and I hope that DK gets moved into a role that, one, he wants, and two, that works well for him. I think him being off the field in a GM-type role, David Kelly, DK. Let, let, let me reset it real quick before we went because I, I did a poor job transition, and FSU announced that it hired Ron Dugan's on Sunday. Yeah, as wide, as wide receivers, receivers coach. coach. That obviously leaves David Kelly, who's wide receivers coach and recruiting coordinator, uh, his his status, obviously, while well, the wide receiver aspect no longer in play, yeah. we don't know what that means. Is he transitioned to somewhere else on on the staff, like on field? Is he moved off staff? Is he not brought back at all? I, I believe he is coming back. As yeah, I believe he'll come back, and I'm working well, well, we with the know. belief that he is off the field in some manner mm-hmm. if they're able to make the following hires they want to make, which is adding a DB coach, adding Clements as the O-line coach. Now, that opens a whole nother discussion of what happens with Greg Fry, and I'm going to be completely honest here. I don't know. We've been asking that question for about 60 days, and we still don't know what happens to Greg Fryn yet. Would you say it's a fluid situation? <laughs> I, I don't know what to call that situation. <laughs> but DK, David Kelly, pot- potentially will go off the field into a GM role, which originally when he arrived at FSU was a role he was going to work in. But when FSU yeah. struggled to hire the receivers coach they wanted to, he ended up being the receivers coach. Now, he loves being on the field. He enjoys coaching. He had been away from it for if a while. If it was up to him, he would stay on the field. Yeah. But he will do whatever is best for the program and for Willie Taggart. He's, a, he's that kind of dude. He He's a guy that cares a great deal. And, and he would bring organization to something that needs help in bringing organization to it. And he understands that. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the most important thing to get across. He, he sees big picture views very, very well, in my opinion. And he would fit that role very well and help kind of create a bridge through the back office to the guys on the field that helps everybody work in a better manner. And brings more organization recruiting, allows them to be maybe a little bit more ahead on organizing visits, uh, getting offers out, dealing with video, dealing with contacts, all that kind of stuff. One, because he's been part of the grind that he's trying to help guys be better at. And two, because he very much thinks in that manner. Well. There's a few things with, with DK that I think are worth noting um, that you already kind of touched on. One, he wears many hats, and he's good at a handful of jobs. He's a talented coach. Uh, he's someone who probably would have been a head coach if he didn't have the NCAA stuff, which wasn't, you know, which was kind of BS. Um, when he, he was, was signing up at UCF. Yes, at UCF. He probably would have been the coach who replaced George O'Leary, not Brent Key, and it would have been a smoother transition, and who knows what happens there. But anyways... He sees the big picture well, but he's also really, really good one-on-one with players. Uh, I think most people who understand the game of football will look at the wide receivers and saw improvement in that unit this year. Some will look at it and say, oh, there's guys who weren't lined up correctly and stuff like that. That, that to me, falls more on the coordination of the offense than it does on a specific unit. To Marion Terry, you got him up to speed, and we knew he was talented, and he still had his raw moments, but DK is credited, and Tamarian has said this before, Gives DK a lot of credit for giving him confidence and instilling that ability in him to believe that, that he can hit this potential. Um, so there are examples of DK you're getting Keyshawn Helton up and, and able to use him down the road uh, later on in the season. So he, he's a good position coach, especially with wide receivers because he's done it for so long. And then he's also, you go ahead and you look at games, he's really Taggart's right-hand man. He's kind of a calming influence there, which I think is needed especially in turbulent times. Uh, he's always close by, always talking to people. So, so there's a lot of value to him. It's about finding what the best fit is, I guess, because he can be the jack of all trades, but maybe 
Um, maybe the offense, or maybe the offense, maybe the entire program needs more than him, more than just in that capacity of being a position coach um, because he can evaluate talent really well. And now he has a year of being able to to see how things work within the actual locker room, of getting an idea of, of personalities within the program. So maybe that would help him if he does become a GM. I, I could see benefits to keeping him on field, and I could see the benefit to um, to moving him up to more of the GM role. But, but I think either way, FSU would be well served to keep him in the fold because he brings a lot to the table. How about that? Works for me. I, I just think DK obviously has value I do too. at FSU. Yep. And I don't think they went out and hired Dugans because they thought DK was bad. I think they went out and hired Dugans because he's a guy that can do the job at a really high level, who has major ties to his school, who is available because Miami dumped their entire offensive staff when Manny took over as head coach, Manny dies. And it made sense. It was a common sense move. How did you say his last name? Diaz, Diaz, whatever. <laughs> Manny. I'll just call him Manny. I'll keep it simple. When I when I see him at Child's recruiting Amari Gaynor two years ago, I just called him Manny. Lethal simplicity. Um, so, uh, David Kelly is a guy that will be around these parts if they want him around these parts, and he's going to do everything in his power to try to make it a better program. All right, let's talk about Dugans and what that means uh, for them. That's a guy who has a pretty good track record for... Uh, recruiting good wide receivers in three years at Miami, I think he brought in about like ten or twelve four-star wide receivers. Um, Amon Richards was probably the name that like was closest to being yeah, like which a was a, horrible luck this past yeah, season exactly. with his career-ending injury. Um, but he's a really good recruiter. He has comfortability, comfortability recruiting in comfort recruiting in South Florida, uh, also parts of North Florida, Jacksonville, South Georgia. Uh, so there's. You're bringing in. It seems to me like it's an accumulation of talent, almost the same way we when you recruit a player and say, "We'll just figure it out later. We'll find a fit for him. He's just a good player." Same thing with with Dugans. You know, he's a a good coach. Uh, you know, he can recruit. Uh, yeah. You know, he brings value, and you're going to figure out where to put DK and the rest later. But but that's a really really solid hire on paper for FSU. It appears. Plus, he's a genuine dude. Mm-hmm. Like he, he cares about his players a lot. He cares about family a ton. He's a guy who moves he made and did not make in recent years were very motivated by family largely you know obviously every coach in the world wants to work their way up the ladder but i don't i don't think ron dukins is the kind of guy where if he's going to be a receivers coach in five years that he's on his third different job in five years unless something happened at the other place that caused him to have to go get a different job Mm -hmm. i don't think he's the type that's going to run away real fast or leave if receivers coaches what he's doing for the next few years, he's going to be at FSU for that time mm-hmm. is his preference, which I think is good. It gives you stability as a staff, and it's something you need. But as a recruiter, he's a guy that relates to kids well. I think they trust him to a high degree. He's able to get in there. He did a fantastic job with Jaden Hazelwood for Miami. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the way their season played out and things in the end didn't help with Hazelwood. But he had Miami right there for a healthy amount of that process. At one point, I think some people were leaning yeah, towards Miami. I, I think – up till probably about mid-November, Miami was considered by Moses, if not the favorite, one of the top contenders right there with others, Georgia and Oklahoma. Would have been nice for Florida State to maybe make that hire before Hazelwood. Yeah, he was going to Oklahoma in the end. Uh, I mean, yeah. Oklahoma won out for multiple reasons. I don't think it would have mattered. Plus, FSU's season wasn't going to win him over either. Uh, that's um, true. And the passing attack wasn't going to win him over in that sense. Like, it wasn't one of these where, oh, the addition of him plus these things helped. But in the end, I think Ron's a good hire, and I think FSU needs to continue to make good hires. They need to continue to bulk up their staff on and off field 
with talented people that know what the hell they're doing in that position. All right, so the staff still, um, still some questions. There's one spot. To I be thought filled. you were gonna use some flu. So, uh, no, I, I think, we I, made, say no I, think I made the joke enough. I'll save it for one more before we end the podcast. Yeah, but I still, I still think there's a excellent chance that you see Randy Clements added in some capacity potentially as the offensive line coach. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that means they have two line coaches. If Greg Fry's parted with, if one of them goes off the field. I don't know. I don't know how those dynamics play out. I'm not going to sit here and play the what-if game with all of that. But I do expect him in some capacity, and we know that FSU wants to hire a DB's coach to help Harlan Barnett on that side of ball, if possible. And right now they have 10 coaches on staff, but David Kelly's potential to go off the field, which gives them nine, allowing one hire to be made. But if you're making two, something else has to happen with your current on-field staff. Mm-hmm. And there's obviously a lot of possibilities there. You know, you could essentially... Yeah, I didn't want to do this, but you could have two O-line coaches and one O-line coach deals with tight ends that block and tight ends that receive go to receiver so you don't have a tight ends coach. You know, that's a possibility. I'm not saying that's a likely scenario. I'm just saying it's a possibility. There's movements of those sorts that you can do. I think we're at the point where better, better odds than not that the coaching staff isn't stabilized until after signing day. Yeah, I think is that where we're at. at this I think point? that's a fair thing to expect yeah. at this oh, point. Which is, I mean, with Clements, you got the whole kind of game of chicken with Houston. With who's paying him, who's buying him out? Are we just going to see him get released from his contract and signed to a new contract? And you know, at this point, I don't think FSU is in a rush to buy him out. And I don't think Houston's in a rush to let him go without getting a little money in return. So you sit and wait. Dana Holgerson's finishing out his staff there. I think he's at ten right now. And obviously it would be at 9 if Randy left that staff. And FSU is currently at 10, but can make a move to add another one if they move somebody off field. But then you still got other movements down the road. Huh. Interesting situation. Almost fluid. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Real, real quick, we'll get into some recruiting stuff before we wrap up the podcast. Um, last week when we had the pod, Chris, they had just offered a, a fan favorite, Eugene Asante, the linebacker. Uh, fittingly, as we do this podcast, they just offered Darius Washington, the three-star pro- offensive tackle uh, prospect from Pensacola, uh, a kid who I've liked and enjoyed watching for uh, came to my attention about a year ago almost, and I that was actually was the first recruiting profile that I put up on twenty four seven, and I uh, think he had a Cincinnati offer then, and now has about thirty offers. Sounds right. He took a summer tour of like five six schools, if I remember, yeah. maybe only four or five, since he was one of when we picked up that offer early. And then uh, ball kind of got rolling downhill, and mm-hmm. it's picked up a lot of steam. Miami really likes him a lot. FSU likes him. Mississippi State wants to keep him. Uh, who yeah, he's committed to Mississippi State. He yeah. also official visited to UCF, and I heard they did an, actually a really nice job yeah. with him, but I think they're going to get squeezed out by some of the, the big boys right now. Yeah, I think he's an ACC, SEC type kid. I think yep. he ends up in one of those conferences playing college football. I'm not convinced he sticks with the Bulldogs. I'm also not convinced he flips FSU, though. Yeah. If he were to part ways well, with them. We'll see. He's, so, um, he was at Miami last weekend, took his second official there with the staff changeover. Um, you know, he, he's not talking right now much about recruiting. He's done a real good job kind of keeping it to himself. The family and him have been up front that they intend to go about it that way. Mm-hmm. When he got offered by FSU, he decided to no comment it, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. And that's just the way they're going about it. But there's work to be done there. FSU needs to get him back on campus. They had him on campus in December for an unofficial visit. But if they want to secure that commitment, they need to get them back on campus to be in the position to do so. Yeah, and we see we've seen a couple crystal balls uh, in the network, not from us, but 
other people within the network and other sides, South Carolina sides. Who South Carolina was they the were other a player school as well, that, yes. Uh, and then uh, and one of the Mississippi State uh, writers too. Uh, what I can say is that Mississippi State was my understanding is was concerned that Florida State would come through with an offer late in the process. That's how it's playing out. So there's a little panic on their end. Uh, when FSU offered, fun little side story, Joe Moorhead, head coach of Mississippi State, was yeah. in the living room was, with was Darius and his family. And then Georgia Tech offered later in the night, I think, after <laughs> the staff left. But Moorhead, Terrell Buckley, who's their DB's coach at Mississippi State, and I believe the O-line coach were all there last evening yeah. visiting. Yeah. Yes, they were. Um, I didn't know it was right when they got the offer, but I knew I they were there so. that in the evening. The timeline synced up pretty closely. Uh, but, yeah, you have to get them, obviously, on campus if you want them to commit. And offerings the first part of that process um i'm on record as saying i think they should have offered a while ago that doesn't mean they don't have a you know some people read that and think oh, it means oh they don't have a plan and they're panicking uh others will read it and, and say but i'll put it this way i think he was good enough to get an offer back in the spring certainly back during the early signing period about a month or so ago yeah. when you had him there and if you had offered him who knows man you offer him when he's in there in the office with willie taggart maybe you Shut that down right away. Uh, but now you obviously have to kind of like Kevon Glenn's recruitment, yeah, exactly. similar manner. Hopefully, now be a little different fanfare too for Darius. I think this has been an overwhelming process because of all the attention he's getting late from from some big time schools, and that's obviously it's a lot to to deal with for a kid who's only played the position for a couple of years. But uh, yeah, Florida State now has to hope they can get him on campus either this upcoming weekend or the or the next weekend. Yeah, uh, Mississippi State's trying to get him to come back for an unofficial. Yeah, which they should. Um, um, I'm sure they pushed for that last and evening. He's, when and he's visited house. Miami twice with two yeah. different uh, head coaches. So uh, I always say follow the visits. Like that's something to factor in as well. Um, I, I think we're both of the mindset if Florida State gets him on campus, then it's a done deal. Yeah. I don't know about done deal, but I think they've got an extremely good shot if they get him back on campus. If they don't get him back on campus, I don't think they have a very good shot at all. Um, Um, Obviously, Miami getting him twice shows that he has a genuine interest in the Hurricanes. And with, you know, staff changes there, I'm sure some of that was get to know the new folks in the building type of deal. And with Mississippi State, he he likes Mississippi State. He committed to them for a good reason. He stuck with them despite interest garnering or garnering interest from others and an increased uh, level of interest of schools, he's stuck with it. So, yeah, it's an interesting recruitment to follow to the end. I don't think it's done. No, it's it's not. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I'm of the opinion that Florida State missed the boat. Uh, We'll see what happens. I think Florida State may have waited a little bit too long and thought they could could hold off and – um, but I will gladly admit that I was wrong if it does, you know, go in the other direction. But I, but I think they waited a little bit too late and mis- misplayed their hands some. FSU's hosting 12 this weekend. It will be interesting what unofficial visitors show up. I expect a couple of current commitments to be in as unofficial visitors. Um, Curtis fans, a possibility. Um, linebacker whose name I'm blanking on completely from Savannah at the moment. Oh, Kalen Deloach. Yeah, Kalen Deloach I expect to be a possibility. Wouldn't shock me if a couple other They'd guys They'd probably come up. down together, right? Yeah. Deloach and Phoenix yeah. are so from So two of them, potentially others. you got six early enrollees, and then you got the 12 kids coming in this weekend. Among those 12, you've got, uh, you know, Travis J., Quayshawn Fuller, Brendan Gant, who are already committed. So, you know, you could have a healthy amount of kind of built-in pressure of commitments helping you try to land new commitments. If a guy like Darius Washington shows up in that scenario, it gets real interesting real fast. Because you know, I think Curtis Finn literally tweeted out the minute he got the offer. Yeah. You remember what we talked about in December when he came. So he yeah. was there for that big weekend in December. 
So, you know, peer pressure is a hell of a thing. It was there for two days and was blown away by Willie Taggart, from my understanding. Enjoyed Greg Fry a good bit during the visit. Uh, And I remember we saw them touring with him and stuff. And he was there. He was the last one to leave, I think, or one of – no. Quayshawn Fuller was the last to leave. Yeah. So it was the two guys who weren't there on official visits, so they had to wait a little bit. But still, uh, that should say something amount of time that both of them spent there uh, unofficially visiting. So yeah, uh, you get guys in campus and are on campus. Sorry, and then, then you know who knows at that point. Um, yep. Who's the running back from TCU that they're or the TCU commit that they're looking at? Newton, Texas running back Darwin Barlow. He uh, I was told this morning by an FSU source that they expect him in this weekend. Now it would be his fifth and final official. He's committed to TCU. He's never taken an official to TCU. TCU believes he may come in this weekend, but it's not certainty. Um, so that's one to kind of monitor, but FSU expects him. And a TCU source, our TCU publisher, Jeremy Clark, wrote last evening that he wouldn't be surprised to see him visit FSU. Um, he visited USC last week, and he took three visits before his commitment to TCU over the summer. So he's never taken an official to TCU where he's committed. He took three officials before he committed to them, and he may never take one there, but TCU still thinks in the end they get him. It's kind of a weird deal, but apparently he's a kid that communicates really well with their staff, and they're somewhat local. I think he's about three, four hours away. I think he's a little bit from Dallas, and TCU's in Fort Worth, close to Dallas, obviously. But still, it's more local school compared to a USC or an FSU. I guess you can say that's quite the... I hate it. Other guys coming in this weekend, expected in this weekend, Charles Moore, completely a wild card defensive lineman, Mississippi State, former commitment for them. They're trying to get him in for an unofficial or even an official this weekend. We'll see if that happens. Auburn and Florida are kind of the two battling out at the top right now for him. Eugene Asante leaned towards Virginia Tech. Most people think UCLA is also in it. FSU and TCU trying to get him in this weekend. He blew off TCU last weekend, so they've tried to reschedule it this weekend. But as of right now, FSU still expects him in this weekend. Shaman Cooper, Shaman Cooper, I'm not 100% how, sure how to say. Linebacker commit to Illinois' first name. Shimano Sh- Shimato. Commit to Under Armour, but he's been adamant. He would visit <laughs> FSU this weekend. He's still supposed to come. Lance. Legendary. Good job. Expected in this weekend. I feel like FSU's trending there very, very well. Ira Henry, FSU's going to have to combat Auburn. He officially visited them last weekend. So balls are flowing for him. Yeah, for him I right think those are a little premature personally. But premature we'll balls see. are the worst. I think time. right now, if he committed, it would be Auburn. But if he makes it to FSU this weekend, it gets interesting. At this point, I still expect him in at FSU. Jay Ward and Kamar Bell, two teammates from Colquitt County. Ward's a defensive back, Bell's an offensive guard. LSU and Ward have a very good relationship. He just went to Texas AM as well. FSU will have a real good shot with him this coming weekend. It's and pronounced Colkit. I know this because I went to an antique fair and some man from Colkit. Oh my god, it, you just sold it. yourself out about him. <laughs> um, and Kamara Bell is a uh, offensive guard that likes massive, off, likes, massive Yeah, guard. he's a big old boy. Likes Auburn a lot. He also officially visited L, uh, Louisville, but Auburn's the main contender there right now. But he is bringing a Louisville. <laughs> But he is bringing a bunch of family with him, including grandma. So if you went over grandma, you went over the kid. So currently 12 on the docket plus some unofficial guys. It wouldn't shock me to see you know one or two come off the list and not one or two go on the list. Could swallow 14, could end up you know settling at 10, anywhere in between when it's a surprise. So we'll keep up with that and we'll probably talk more about it later this week.
Yeah, well, we have a penciled in a podcast maybe on Thursday before for to do the official visit. Don't hold us to it. It's a very fluid situation. Guys, thanks for listening to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. Chris, thanks for joining me and putting up with me and getting me through the James Blackman stuff. Um, guys, thanks for listening. Five-star review on iTunes. Remember to subscribe. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll talk to you on Thursday.